Well, good morning, Integrity Church. How are we doing today? Awesome. I'm glad to hear from you all. I'm glad that you are here with us this morning. Um, for those of you who are watching on our live stream, we're glad that you are joining us right where you are this morning. We would encourage you to uh, take a moment and share the stream. Perhaps those who are connected with you uh, might want to join with us as we go through God's word. Um, I don't know if I said my name yet. My name is Josh, and I'm one of the staff members here. Uh, if we have not met, and um, I love working for Integrity, love working to serve uh, all of you in what we do here at Integrity Church. Um, this morning, Ben is actually out preaching for one of our partner churches um, in Rocky Mount, and it's, uh, the church is called Redeemer Church. And then for those of you who don't know me, I actually spent a couple years at Redeemer Church as they were launching um, their church uh, some years back. And um, I got to learn uh, a lot of good ministry, what that looks like. Uh, I was their kids director, um, and I was their resident drummer. Um, I'm not going to be doing that here. Um, but we certainly uh, had a great time just uh, seeing all that God would do in a like-minded church in Eastern North Carolina. So we're certainly glad that Ben is able to preach to them this morning. Um, the other thing I want to bring to your attention is that starting next week, we are going to reopen Integrity Kids. And so we are very excited to be able to do so. We've been communicating with people who are in the health industry, as well as with uh, churches, just seeing, hey, what are the best practices to be able to accomplish this in the most safe and responsible manner? So we're confident that our plan um, will be cautious and safe for your children. So for those of you that this has held you back from coming, we are glad that you can now come and be able to put your kids um, you know, under the care of uh, those who are serving us uh, so that you, you can be blessed by being uh, here uh, with other believers hearing God's word. Um, but that's all I've got for announcements this morning. Um, if you're new to Integrity, we typically go through books of the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Um, you know, that's why we've got this big banner behind us that says, No Other Gospel, A Study of Galatians. And this is the book that we've been in for a while and will be in for a while longer. Um, in Galatians chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. But before we jump into the text, oh, let me just say something about this table. I have this table, and it's not to prove any points or anything. I know Ben uses a podium. There's nothing that makes anything, you know, one holier than the other. I just need something to put my water on, okay? So if you think it's weird, I'm not trying to be weird. It's so good. We got that out of the way. All right. Okay. So before we jump into text, so I want to talk to you guys about nightmares. Um, I think many of us have them and many of us share uh, common themes and nightmares and uh, one might be where you're falling, you're falling, you're falling and then all of a sudden you wake up, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I'm in my bed, right? Um, other of us, uh, others of us, we have nightmares leading up to a deadline, maybe of a project. I know I certainly had them all last night, like no joke, y'all, like I was waking up every hour thinking, oh my goodness, I didn't, I probably set my alarm for p.m. and not a.m. I woke up every hour, like just in a sweat, like, oh my goodness, like I may, maybe I didn't prepare for the sermon or something, you know, and I think that a lot of us have those kind of nightmares, but there's another one that I think is common among a lot of us, and that's the nightmare where you would step foot into a public place, maybe at the cafeteria in school, or perhaps at a board meeting at work, and then you realize, I forgot to put on clothes, right? Anybody ever have that nightmare? It's like, oh my goodness, how could I be so careless? How is it that I woke up this morning, I left out of my house, got into my car, walked through the parking lot, into the doors, and it's just now dawning on me that I don't have any clothes on, right? It's like feels so 
uh, uh, you feel so exposed and so vulnerable. And there are studies that actually show that these kind of nightmares, um, they're digging into this deep reality in human nature. And that's the reality that we fear being known. We fear like true and laid bare honesty. We fear being vulnerable. And I think that what we're going to see this morning in the text is that for the believer, being known is actually a very safe thing with God. Being known by God is what makes you a believer, not what you do. And I believe that this is Paul's message to the Galatian church as he is uh, refuting everything uh, that they are doing to, to turn from the gospel. He's trying to turn them back and place their emphasis back on a big God. And so what we're going to see this morning is that this message not only applies to the Galatians back then, but it applies for us today. So let me pray for our time and then we'll read this text. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the realities of the gospel. God, that we who are far from you have been brought near and God even brought into your family. So God, help us this morning as we go through your word. Let it find the things in our hearts, God, that need healing from your love. God, we pray that you would empower Ben as he preaches for Redeemer Church this morning. We ask that their congregation, that their hearts would be softened to receive your word as well. We ask this in the strong, saving, mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's read Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 8. It says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Verse 12, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged your eyes out and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. So this morning our text comes to us really in two sections. And uh, those sections um, are uh, verses 8 through 10, and Paul has given us a sort of a theology corrective. And then in verses 11 through 20, what he's doing is he's kind of highlighting some of the relational tension that has been happening between him and the, the Gentile believers in the Galatian church uh, as they had begun abandoning the gospel. And so the issue that they were having was that these false teachers, these Judaizers, had come in after Paul as we saw that, okay, so Paul came to them, uh, and it was because of a bodily ailment, and they were taking care of him, but then he's, he's there, and he's like, oh, well, I'm going to share the gospel with you. So he's teaching them this whole gospel of freedom, uh, not of works, 
and then the Judaizers come in right after him and they begin undermining and tearing down and pulling apart everything that Paul has built up in the church. And so these Judaizers, you know, they're kind of coming in and saying, you know, who in here wants to be a super Christian? And you can imagine every hand goes up. The same would be true for us today, I think. If someone walked in, maybe that person just walked in right now, said, hey, do you want to be a super Christian? We'd all raise our hands and say, yes, sign me up. So this is kind of what is happening with the church in Galatia. They are trying to learn how to be these super Christians as these Judaizers are coming and they're introducing these Old Testament practices and laws and saying, hey, do these things and you'll be a better Christian. And Paul is trying to refute that and he spends the entire book of Galatians, which is a letter written directly to the church to deal with that problem. And this is why in verse 20 it says, I am perplexed about you. And he's just so upset with them as he's, you know, opens up his letter right after his first greeting. He says, I am astonished that you have quickly deserted the gospel. In verse 17, it says, they make much of you for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. So what Paul is saying is that these Judaizers are self-serving. Sometimes when we look at people who have it all together Sometimes they just have their best interest in mind. And what they're trying to do is make a carbon copy of themselves on you because it validates who they are. But the reality is the Judaizers don't actually have it all together. But it's interesting that they think that they do. You know, they're the kind of person that if they went into... uh, a job interview or went to a company to try to get hired, you know, they're the ones who make like that stack of resume papers, you know, like five pages. Everybody knows you only need one page. Some of you are like, oh, I got to go fix my, my resume. You only need one page for it to be professional. You put the relevant information on there, but instead they're like the people who've got that five page resume and you're like, oh, come on, man. Come on, man. And so that's what Paul is saying. He's like, this is how uh, they operate. They want to build up a name for themselves. And Paul actually tells us in the book of Galatians, in his calling by God, he says that he was called out of his resume and into the resume of Christ. Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, it says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So what Paul is saying here is that, hey, if you wanted to get points with man or or with God, and if this is the way that you would be able to do it is by doing works, I'm your guy. And I would have taught that to you in the first place. If this is how it is to become a super Christian, I would have showed this to you. But then we also see Paul speaking of his resume, the famous passage in Philippians 3. Verses 7 through 8, he's just laid out a similar resume that he used to have, and he says this about it, starting in verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And so the reality is, church, you don't need a resume. Jesus himself gives us his good one-page resume, and it only has one line on it. And that line says, I died so that you may live. His resume is all that we need. 
And I think there's such a danger in emphasizing how much we know about God and making that the most important. And Paul used to think that he knew God, and he certainly knew a lot about God, but he didn't know him. His focus is on making himself worthy and right before God. And this is a grave error. You know, it reminds me of a conversation that I um, was he- overheard the other day. A lot of times I think, you know, we, we tend to talk about OCD, right? And I'm not, when I say OCD, I'm not talking about the, like, clinically diagnosed OCD where you're at, like, a level 9 out of 10 anxiety as a baseline every day. And you're like, I'm not talking about that, but I'm just talking about, like, the cultural way that we use it, which is another word for preferences. I'm a little OCD about my desk, or I'm a little OCD about my closet. And I was overhearing this conversation, and... Um, this guy says, yeah, whenever I wash dishes, when I'm done washing the dishes, I can't just walk away from the sink. I have to wipe down all the water spots and just clean them out, right? And, and like the, the, all the people who are listening to her are like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Now I can't unsee that. Now I'm going to have to wipe down the water spots. I'm going to have to wipe down those water spots every time I wash dishes now because something about that makes us feel guilty like we haven't done something right because of someone else's preference, right? That's kind of what the Judaizers have been doing and expressing this false gospel by works. I think that many of us, we have struggled with this very thing. It becomes such a big distraction that actually takes us off of the traction, which is freedom. Sometimes we begin to believe that uh, we can control our salvation by earning righteousness. That's resume righteousness, though. And so we may not be following the whole Mosaic law, but I think that some of us have some particulars, right? I know for me, I grew up thinking, and I believe it is what is taught in the Bible about Christianity, uh, that you can't get tattoos or God is going to lose interest with you. You cannot drink alcohol or God's going to not be pleased with you. Don't go to movies. Don't listen to secular music or God's going to leave you. And see, these are only some of the things that we believe. I can't even tell you the whole list of them. But all these things, we would think that God would not want us anymore. But you know what I never heard? I never heard and what I never learned was that salvation was not dependent on what I do or don't do. Salvation is actually dependent on God. And when he saves people, he isn't looking for the changes that they've already made, all the laws that they've been able to follow. That's all rubbish, as Paul said. You can't make yourself worthy for salvation. No, instead, what we learn from the passage today is that Paul is teaching that God is not even looking at us as the reason for saving us, but rather he is looking at his son, Jesus. So let's go back to the theological portion of the text, and we'll unpack that a little bit more. It says in verses 8 through 9, Formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Now, when we read that, if we're not careful, we may think that these uh, two verses are warning the Galatians to not go back to pagan idol worship, right? Because it says in verse 8, before they knew God, uh, they were slaves to those that by nature are not gods. And he says that you're turning back. 
And so, and, and do you wish to be enslaved all over again? But what has actually been happening is these false teachers, the Judaizers, they weren't encouraging them to ignore God's laws they had done in the past in their pagan practices. Rather, what is happening is they are trying to get them to adopt the Old Testament Mosaic law in order to be justified and pleasing to God. And so what Paul is saying is that earning salvation through the law is just as much enslavement as the old Gentile pagan idol worship. Both of them get you nothing. Verse 3, the verses preceding our text, he says about the law, in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So here he's calling those elementary principles, and he's calling also the pagan idolatry worship, he's calling that elementary principles of the world. Well, why does he do that? Well, what he is saying is that both of them are our own human efforts at a weak, worthless, elementary attempt to get to God. And what the gospel is actually teaching is that instead of us being able to work ourselves up to God, he is the one who has come down to us because we couldn't do it. So speaking about the law, this is what is on trial here. Paul says in verses 4 through 5, he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the what? Law. So that we might receive adoption as sons. And so what he's teaching us is that whether you're under the law or pagan worship, you both are in need of adoption by God. This is the way into the kingdom. And the issue uh, used to be that the Gentile believers were enslaved to pagan worship, but now the current issue is that now they're trying to be slaves under the law. They had bought into the Judaizers' teaching. But Jesus came to redeem those under the law, and he did it through adoption. And notice what happened, what's happening here. This is the point that we said Paul would show us, right? That, and it's that God sent forth his son. It doesn't say that he looked at the people under the law, found the ones who were just crushing it and with a five-page resume and following every law that they could find, including the ones that they made up. But no, this is showing us that God sent forth his son to redeem us. There's nothing that you can do, no human effort that we could do that would make us redeemable to God. It has to be based on him. I think this goes to show that the law, in fact, is ineffective because it didn't save anyone. And so receiving an adoption as sons, it is also proving the same point, right? Adoption is really as good as it gets for you and for me. And this means that God is the effector of our salvation, not the other way around. And so to think that we're the ones saving ourselves or keeping ourselves saved is actually elementary thinking. It's going back to the law or even pagan idolatry. And the reason why is because it puts the emphasis on ourselves. In verse 9, he said that these, were, these ways were elementary thinking. And I think that often you and I, we can tend to think that we have to gradually change, right, to get acceptance from God, as if there's more to get. I can be more accepted by God if I do this or I do that. We believe that if we knew a little bit more about God, or if I did a few more good things, that we could make God a little more impressed with us, but he never asked for that, did he? 
And this is why Paul in verse 9 places the emphasis on God's knowing us as a reason that we shouldn't turn back to the elementary ways. It's not just looking at, like, don't follow the law, don't do pagan idolatry, but the emphasis here is actually, uh, uh, that, that keeps us from turning back to the elementary ways is actually God's knowing us. Read verse 9, it says, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world whose slaves you want to be once more? And so he's not saying that they don't know God. We certainly know that they do. He said, now that you've come to know God. But the word rather means more importantly. And so read it again. It says, but now that you have come to know God, or more importantly, now that you have come to be known by God. That's the way that this scripture should read. And what this is doing is it is highlighting to us what a right relationship with God looks like. Being known by God is what makes you a believer, not what you do. Tim Keller captures this idea in his commentary on this passage, and he says this. And if you're not reading Tim Keller, like, I want to encourage you to do so. I'm not going to make it a law that you get more points with God. You would get points with me, um, but I'm not asking you to serve me, but he's a really good author, got a lot of wisdom. But uh, he, he says in his commentary on this passage that Paul is saying this about these verses. So then... Paul says it's not so much your regard and love for God, but rather his regard and love for you that really makes you a Christian. 1 Corinthians 1.3, it says, But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And so anyone who loves God does so because God knows them. The reality is that our knowing of God it's just such a roller coaster, isn't it? We're up and we're down. We're like, oh, I know this about God. Oh, wait, maybe I don't. Oh, I know this about God now. Oh, maybe I don't know as much as I thought. And so then we just keep going and going and going on the grind. We're trying to know more and more and more and more about him. Could you imagine if it was up to us like to keep our salvation in that way by knowing God, perhaps by incorporating some of his laws or whatever it is that we're trying to do? Our knowing of God is such a roller coaster. It's dynamic. It's shifting. We're in and out of knowing him, but God and his knowing of us, it's static. It remains constant. God's knowing of us never changes. It is through adoption. But going back to what the Judaizers are doing, I think it, we are reminded of how subtle that turning from God can actually be. I think that many of us over time replace our salvation just like the believers in the text today. And so think about this. Like, man, when we first become believers, right, we're just like enamored with God, right? Like, we're just like, oh, my goodness. Like, I agree with you, God, about my sin. I am definitely in need of you. I am broken. I am a sinner. And we understand God's love for the first time. And it's so sweet, isn't it? You know, we come to him humble and we come to him laid bare, knowing that we're fully known in every brokenness and weakness of our sin. And we're just so amazed by his grace because it's in that helplessness that he actually finds us and adopts us. And so even though we're so secure when we first become believers, and we don't even question it, we give it some time, though, maybe a month, maybe six months, maybe five years, whatever it is, and then we come to the realization that we're still broken. And so then that causes us to begin to question, right? Why am I still 
sinning, like, oh no, there's something wrong with me. And so then what happens is I think that we'll begin to do everything I can to ensure that God will still love me, that my adoption would still remain true. Let me make sure that I'm still a son and, or a daughter and worthy. In church, I think that we are so insecure of God's acceptance of us that we actually turn from him and begin placing the focus on ourselves and try to do things within our own power to be accepted by him. And I believe, brothers and sisters, that this is, uh, uh, it is in the shift of focus that you and I begin turning to those elementary principles of the world, which teaches us that we have to clean up ourselves in order for God to accept us. Looking to ourselves, it takes our eyes off of God and his power. And so the message that Paul taught the Galatians when he was with them at first was that the, the gospel is God's grace given to us, and it meets every need that we have. It cancels every sin debt that we owed past, present, or future. And we are actually the recipients of the promise that God made to us, to his people, that he would be the one to make things right between God and man. He said, I'm going to take this responsibility. I'm taking this on myself. You cannot do it. And so he promises this. And we look at Jeremiah 31, verses 33 to 34. He says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and uh, each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. You see, here he's saying that there is no need. This is the promise that there will be no need for external laws. And the reason why is that it says that God will put his law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And so what we see is that what God is doing is, is, is he's going to uh, transform us so that we don't have to have these external things that are motivating us or teaching us. Instead, it's going to be within. And so what is happening is God is promising that he is going to transform us not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And here the promise of salvation is that we wouldn't be able to list out steps in order to obtain righteous, righteousness. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, again, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanness, and from all of your uh, idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh uh, and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is the promise, church, that God would give us not a list righteousness, but give us a righteousness that is just from a transformation of our own hearts that he just gives us. Sounds pretty easy, right? It's amazing. It's amazing that God would do a miracle like that for us. But I think the reason that you and I are so quick to follow laws is because we don't actually trust that new heart that God said that he would give us. We don't know that that heart is enough because we are so laden with our own failures and weaknesses. 
We don't believe that he's cleansed us from our unrighteousness. But as we see from Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the promises of God's people is that the external law won't be necessary because you're going to be animated by the Spirit. And actually, Paul is leading us up to speak about this in a very strong manner in chapter 5, life empowered by the Spirit. But we're not going to get into that. I'm going to let someone else preach that one. Um, but Paul is speaking uh, really here about the uh, uh, justification by faith. Um, and, and, and he says this in Romans 4, 4 through 5. And it says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So here, who's justified in these verses? Well, it's the one who believes. It's not the one who's working, it's the one who believes. So the question you have to ask yourself is not what am I doing for God or how many things have I done for God or what else can I do for God, but do you believe? That's the question. And so because of these promises that God would give us a new heart, I think, church, that we are living in a really, really great era of the church, right? I mean, the fact that we get to uh, know the work of the gospel through Jesus dying on the cross, like so many people before us didn't know this. Even the Galatian church, they didn't have the, the letter written to the Galatians to start off with to know that they were in error. But you and I, we do have that. So you really live in an incredible time in the church. And the truth is, if we believe in the work of Jesus on our behalf, then we are forgiven. End of story. I think it's hard to believe because there's nothing that we contribute except sin. And I know that, like, man, we look at ourselves like, God, I'm so broken. Every time we fall, we're like, man, I'm just so sinful. We start beating ourselves up. And you know what? If we're not pointing it out, then brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so is pointing it out, right? We kind of act like referees for ourselves, or they act like referees for us. And they're like calling the foul, like, oh, it's a 15-yard penalty. You got to back it up, right? That's actually how we, we think about ourselves. We just beat ourselves down. And it's like, man, when I think about God, I don't think that God is sitting there with a referee hat on trying to say, oh, 15-yard penalty, got to call you back. You got to start over. You got to work your way back up to that line. No, God isn't like that. Instead, he's a loving father. And sure, he's going to pr provide correction for us when we wander, but I said he's a loving father. <laughs> you know, it's not, uh, it's not, I'm not a bad father for correcting my child if he goes astray or does something wrong. I'm just simply trying to teach him, right? I'm trying to show him the ropes. The truth is we wander all the time, but in our wandering church, what I want us to know is that God isn't looking for your sin. Do you believe that, that God is not looking for your sin? Or do you go about your Christian walk just like, oh man, God is just sitting there just ready to strike with his wrath. I used to think that for most of my life growing up. That's what I was taught in the church, in fact, which is really unfortunate. But remember what it says in Jeremiah 31, 34. He says, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Psalm 103.12, it says, He has removed our sins far from us as east is from the west. And then in Colossians 2.14, we see that by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So do you think that God is looking for your sin? Or has it been nailed? Has it been nailed to the cross? 
God is not looking for our sin, but we often are. And we use it to prove to ourselves that we are not enough. God knew that. That's why he sent Jesus. And I think we're incredibly insecure about God's love for us, aren't we? And so we begin creating this list of things that we can do to fix all of our wrongdoings as if we can drain the account of righteousness that Jesus gave to us when he died on the cross for our sins. Listen, you can't drain the amount of grace that God has. That is God's currency, and he was pleased to give it to us. And so what then? What are we supposed to do with this reality that God isn't looking for our sin? What does it mean to be known by God in this text? So what it means is, number one, if God knows you, you know that he does because you love him. So if you love God, then he knows you. If God knows you, then you love God. And if you love him, he loves you, and there's nothing that you can do to undo your adoption. We have to believe this, that you are sons and daughters, and our salvation is not dependent on our knowing of God, but it is dependent on his knowing of us. And what a wonderful reality to actually move forward in. And so for you and I, we tend to get caught up in scriptures like Romans 3.23, where it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We even quote this often, don't we? But we read it and we stop at all have sinned, all have fallen short. We're like, I have sinned, I have fallen short, and we miss the reality of what we're falling short from, which is the glory of God. It isn't saying uh, that we fall short of following God's laws, but it says that we're falling short of the glory of God. And church, the glory of God is the salvation that he gives to his children freely. The glory of God is a chance that we have to truly change and turn from sin because he has given us a new heart and now we don't have to try to change from the outside in but from the inside out because of what God has blessed us with and the glory of God is that he knows us that sinners who are uh, uh, and that we are sinners in great need of his love continually and if he didn't save us we would still be given over to idols or we'd be given over to external laws those are the principles again that the world teaches us to work for our salvation. You can't add, you can't subtract to the work of cross, the, the work of Jesus on the cross for your sins. So I just want to tell you, be free. Be free. Be free to be known by God. Let God's knowing of you wash away your insecurities because it's dependent on his knowing you, not your knowing him. So we can rest. Let it wash away your insecurities or whether he's accepted you or not. If you love God, then it's because he knows you. You can be confident there's no way you can change that if it's based on his fixed, unchanging love that adopted you into his family. And so being known by God is what makes you a believer, not what you do. As I reflect on this, I'm challenged to think about all the ways that I try to secure my salvation. I always try to do more every time I recognize sin in my life, my immediate reaction is like, oh my gosh, I need to pray more. My immediate reaction is I need to read my Bible more. Oh, I should have been going to that study I've been going to. That's been really keeping me on track. It's been keeping me on track with God. But remember, <laughs> it's not my love for him that secures my place in God's heart, right? The same is true for you. 
It is not your love for God that secures your place in his heart. It's God's love for us that secures his love in his heart. And he couldn't have demonstrated any clearer church when Jesus, but, but to send Jesus to die in her place so that we would no longer owe any sin debt. And so we need to let go of those elementary ways of thinking. They don't earn us any favor. And so when you fall short, I'm asking you this, are you running to God or are you running to works? I think that's what we have to question ourselves in today. When you fall short, when you find yourself in sin, are you running to God or are you running to works? You know we run into so much trouble when we try to keep our salvation. Those who are known by God are owned by God. Okay? Those who are known by God are kept by God. Those who are known by God are secure and safe because of God, so be known. I'll leave you with this in chapter 3 of Galatians, verse 26 to 27. Paul had reminded them, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Believers have put on Christ. God has given us the riches of Christ's righteousness. And so what I want for us to do this morning is to enjoy the garments of righteousness, righteousness as you are clothed in Christ. And because you are clothed in righteousness of Christ, this means that you can bring all of your sin, all of your brokenness, all of your weaknesses before God. Because you have access, you don't have to manage it on your own. Don't try to manage it. It manages you. So bring it to God. He knows you, and he still owns you. And he loves you, and he's going to help you get through it, okay? So remember, it's not what you do that makes you a believer. What makes you a believer is being known by God. God help us. Let's pray.